to the $100 MBA show. Powerful business lessons you can count on every single day with our daily 10-minute business lessons for the real world. I'm your host, your coach, your teacher, Omar Zenholm. I'm also the co-founder of Webinar Ninja, an independent software company I started with my co-founder back in 2014. And today's episode is a special one, an extended interview with Laura Roeder. Laura Roeder is the founder of many things. She's a co-creator of B-School with Marie Folio. She created, built, and sold Meet Edgar, one of the largest social media scheduling apps out there. And for the last couple of years, she's been running Paperbell over at paperbell.io, an all-in-one solution for online coaches. And I had the joy and the privilege to sit down with Laura to discuss her journey, the things she's learned along the way, and what it took for her to build Meet Edgar and sell it on her own terms, and then start a new thing start all over again using those lessons those hard lessons she learned along the way in her new business this is an interview a discussion i've been wanting to have with laura for some time she's a very busy woman but we got it on the books we scheduled it we recorded it and we're sharing it with you today there's so many mic drop moments in this interview in this discussion and we go down a lot of different paths from ethical marketing to creating your own standards and rules for your business to understanding it's time to say goodbye to a business and move on. I can't wait for us to get into this one. Let's get into it. Let's get down to business. Hey, you love the $100 MBA show because it's short and it's to the point. We get straight to the advice you came for so you can start applying it to your business. Well, what if business coaching was just like that? What if there was an online business coaching program that focused strictly on what you need to do and held you accountable? And that's it. No fluff, no busy work. Just personal guidance from an experienced entrepreneur. That's Mission Control, my exclusive new coaching program. Most coaching programs waste time with non-essential work, but Mission Control is all about doing what gets results and nothing else. Mission Control is a 52-week program where I personally guide you to the business outcomes you're looking for with no detours or side alleys along the way. Each week, we check your progress based on metrics we establish and give you action items to move you closer to your goal. That's it. Now, because I personally coach each Mission Control client, I can only accept 50 signups for the year. Don't miss your chance. Learn more at 100mba.net slash MC. That stands for Mission Control. Again, that's 100mba.net slash MC. Having the right tools to run your business is really important, and that's why we recommend Xero. Xero is the easiest, most powerful accounting software we know, and the reason why we know is because we're big users. We run all our businesses with Xero. It integrates with our banking, all our financial apps and payment processors. It's easy for us, it's easy for our bookkeepers and accountants, and it's built for business owners, not financial nerds. If you wanna make it easy on yourself to handle the numbers, check out Zero. Go to Zero. that's xero.com slash podcasts. In today's episode, Laura Roeder is gonna share her journey and building me Edgar and Paperbell with her significant other, her husband. One of my favorite things about this discussion is how vulnerable and honest Laura is. She's generous enough to share some of the mistakes she's made and some of the things that she learned the hard way so that we don't have to uh, experience the same pain. 
So I'm going to jump right into the conversation now with Laura Roder, but I'll be back to wrap up today's episode and share some of my takeaways. But for now, let's jump into the conversation with Laura Roder. Laura Roder, so awesome to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's been, we talked a long time ago, so it's really good to be back on because a lot, a lot has changed. Yes, yes, totally. And I really um, have so many questions. I have so many questions for so many reasons. Um, uh, and we've been wanting to have this chat for some time. So I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, first of all, um, how is summer in the UK? Are you just getting out of summer, right? Yeah, it was actually a pretty nice summer. You know, travel was really crazy here with flights getting canceled, baggage loss. So we had a very, we had a very British summer. We went to the Isle of Wight. We went to Wales. We went to Cornwall. We did all the, all the British, all the British hits. Okay. <laughs> the greatest hits. I love it. Uh, yeah. and we have that in common. We're both Americans. We're expats in, in, in different Commonwealth mm-hmm. countries. <laughs> you're on the Commonwealth. You're in, in the motherland. So, uh, <laughs> so that's, that's awesome. But, um, uh, I, I love the fact that, um, you know, more, I hear a lot of my friends who are from America are now moving and exploring new places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been an expat all my adult life. Actually, I was living in Dubai. Then I moved back to the States for a few years and came to Sydney and things like that. How has expat life kind of changed your perspective on things? Oh man, it's such, it's such a big question. I mean, I really love living in the UK. Um, uh, you know, I think other countries make fun of Americans for not having a passport, but maybe they don't realize that America just is such a huge country. Mm. You know, it's not that weird to just stay in America, you know, mm. visit places in America. Um, but when you go outside of America, you do, you do realize there's a lot more world out there, a lot more ways to live. So many other things that we take for granted in America, like shops being open all the time, um, are just very unusual, you know, every, everywhere else in the world. Although I do miss just being able to go to, you know, CVS at 3am buy whatever I want. You can't, you can't do that other place. (laughs) That is very true. And I, I try to explain this to some of my friends that like the thing about the U S is that it it really spoils people because they have the mountains, they have the snow, they have the beach, they have Mm. desert, they have forests, they have, you know, like, so you can pretty much get an extent you know, a a non-cultural experience, you know, nature experience everywhere. Um, so it kind of doesn't really uh, encourage people to leave their borders. Uh, but having said that, what you mentioned about like things being closed or the inconveniences of, of Europe or other places in the world, it really does give me gratitude and patience and makes me realize, well, maybe these things are not so important. Maybe I don't need to buy something at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. It's just like the idea of it is comforting. I don't know why, just knowing that you can go get something at one o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Um, as I, as I mentioned before, we jumped into the chat in our intro that, you know, you're the founder of, uh, me, Edgar, you sold me Edgar. You're the founder of paper mm-hmm. bell. You are an absolute baller when it comes to, you know, building and growing a business and, and building it on your terms, which is something that I'm really, mm-hmm. um, interested in learning more. But before we get into that, uh, world, I want to learn a little bit more about, you know, you said you grew up in Austin, you're from Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. you know, w- what was that like growing in Austin? Do you have uh, any family members that are entrepreneurship? Do you have any entrepreneur influences growing up? Mm-hmm. What was like your first exposure to business? Yeah. So my dad is a self-employed architect. So, uh, he, you know, did the plans. My mom would help do the bookkeeping. He's sort of interesting because he technically is an entrepreneur, 
but he's the type of entrepreneur that just loves to be an architect. So he didn't have interest in growing a larger firm. In fact, he, he had employees and then there was a real estate crash in the eighties and he had to fire them all. And he was like, well, this is great. This is, this is much better just, just being on my own. So it's a little bit different than, you know, for me, I am interested in growing a larger business, but I think what was such a huge blessing about that, that gave me such a great head start is, you know, I did grow up in a family where my family's business earned our income. Mm. So I think for so many people, just that idea is such a huge mental hurdle for them. You know, they've been told that owning your own business is really risky or unstable and you need to get a job. So it's not like it was a huge business. It's not like it had, you know, some huge amount of wealth or anything, but just having that baseline of like, okay, the way my family makes money is from my parents' business. I could do that also. And actually my very first foreign working for myself was as a freelance graphic designer, which is, you know, kind of a very similar type of business to being a freelance architect. So I did have someone to talk to just for those very basics of like, okay, this guy didn't pay me. What mm -hmm. do I do? Although my dad is a terrible person to ask because he's just like the nicest guy in the world. I'm sure he was just like, well, sometimes people just don't pay you. <laughs> he's not, he's not he very aggressive about stuff like that. Yeah. Although my mom would be the one calling and being like, nope, we gotta, we gotta get paid. Um, so yeah, I do, I do think that was just a huge, you know, privilege that I had that so many people, their families are unsupportive or just think it's a crazy idea. And, uh, you know, I was lucky not to have to deal with those kind of obstacles. That's very interesting. Knowing that that's an option, knowing that like, Hey, entrepreneurship is an option. Starting a business is an option. You know, my dad was actually an engineer, uh, and in the eighties lost his job in that crash and he became mm -hmm. a salesperson and a car salesman out of all the kinds of salespeople can think of mm -hmm. the one that we think about in our head. Um, and growing up in that environment, you know, um, you, you just learn that sometimes you have money and sometimes you don't. Sometimes mm -hmm. there's ups and downs mm -hmm. and you, I think my tolerance for risk came from that, from just observing that. Um, well, that, that's awesome. Uh, when did you first start or tell yourself, maybe I can do this business thing? Like where, where was that? Was it a book? Was it an experience? Mm -hmm. So I was very young. I think I started working for myself full time when I was, I guess, 23. Um, and I never had a job since. So I only had one job after college. I quit that to start working for myself and I, I never looked back. So, you know, I feel like when you ask people this on podcasts, there's two, but not you just generally podcasts. Cause I listen to a ton of business podcasts. There's two books that get mentioned over and over and over and over again. And they are rich dad, poor dad and four hour work week. And mine was four hour work week because that book came out right at the same time that I was quitting that first job, which, which I don't know, 2007, somewhere mm. around there, you know, is around when the book came out and you know, that book was so powerful for me of just seeing this example of like, okay, this, this guy, this guy did it, you know, he's, he did it. He's explaining how to do it. I had always been a kind of early internet person, you know, I think mm -hmm. you and I are a similar age. I'm 38. So I was that kind of first generation to have AOL, you yep. know, in fifth Messenger. and sixth grade and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, coding websites, like when I was in middle school. So for me, reading the stuff in the four hour work week was like, okay, I know about this internet stuff. And I had, I had already started becoming aware of those worlds of doing 
you know, affiliate marketing on, you know, Google ads, all the kind of early internet stuff. I was kind of learning about it. So yeah, that book was a huge part of my journey. Um, and I just figured, you know, if I don't like freelancing, I'll just get another job. It just seemed mm. to me like the worst case scenario. It's like, okay, well, the worst case scenario is just the scenario that I already have. It's like, I have a job now. I don't like it. Well, then I'll, I'll just get, okay. It might be a slightly worse job, but you know, I was young. I didn't have kids to feed. Right. It's like, okay, I know I can get a job at target or something right. and be able to survive, you know, yeah. move back in with my parents if I have to. So it wasn't that hard for me, I think, to take, to take that initial leap. It's great that you recognize that. I call it the Mario jump, you know, like, uh, there's these levels in Mario where you have to like make this big jump and the worst case scenario, you're going to fall mm. through and you're going to start in that where you just started. Like, you know, right. it's not, it's not yeah. a big deal, you know? yeah. but, but, um, my first book actually is none of those. And it's like such mm. an obscure book. And it's actually a book, uh, written by uh, a brother and sister that started coffee Republic, which is, was a big coffee chain in the UK. It's called anyone okay. can do it. It's not the mm. best book in the world, but it was just the right book at the right time. Yeah. I read it cover to cover on a flight and it was one of those books that documents the journey of building a business like for them was a the cafe and, you know, doodles on the napkin. And after I read that book, I was just like, they're not special. I could do that too. Like, yeah. why not? You know? Yeah. And it was really inspiring. Um, and then I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. This is, which is usually, you know, uh, part of the course, you know? Um, awesome. I, I, I'm really loving uh, what you're dropping because uh, I, I feel like we kind of grew up in the same generation. We learned, you know, our way around the internet uh, and kind of learned by doing and got our confidence mm -hmm. through that. Um, mm -hmm. one of the things I, you know, I did a bit of research on Laura before I got on this call. And one of the things I learned, and I knew this for some time, but I wanted to talk to you about it was that you're one of the co-founders of, uh, of B-School with Marie mm -hmm. Folio. Now mm -hmm. for those, for the younger folks who are listening, B-School is this big thing that came out in the late. For the, like, for the men who are listening, women know what this is. Men have no idea. I, I knew about it. I was like, <laughs> this thing is huge, right? You're tuned like, in. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, you know, 2010, even like 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, you know, Marie Folio's had this business program called B-School, which was like mm -hmm. a business mm -hmm. school alternative type of thing. Um, and she was like, uh, in, in this is my perspective. She was like the face of the brand and face of yep. the the program. Uh, I didn't know at that time that you were the co-founder of it. I mm. only learned that later when when I you know uh, was doing a bit of research. Um, how did that happen? How did that synergy happen? That partnership happen? And and why did you take on that opportunity? So I first hired Marie as my coach. You know, mm. I saw her at one of the first kind of online marketing, online business events that I went to. And I think she was on stage there. And I'm like, you know, I think Marie is impactful for so many people because she does, she does seem very relatable. And for me, you know, at the time I was in my early twenties, I guess she was in her late twenties or whatever. Um, and to see a, a young woman with a successful online business, I'm like, Oh yeah, I went, that's, that's who I want to work with. You know, I can really relate to her. She's done it. So I first hired her as my coach, but then very quickly, we just became really good friends. And, and really the origin story for B school is that we were going to all of these, uh, you know, back then it was called internet marketing, like these internet marketing events. Um, and at the time, <laughs> 
a lot of them had a kind of very like sleazy, aggressive, get rich quick. A lot of, you know, they would tell you stuff like put logos on your website of like brands you haven't worked with to make your website look better. I I got a zinger for you. I went to one of those events (laughs) and they would say advertise on websites like Forbes and Inc. And then you could say featured in. What the hell? You can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. It's all all kinds of, of shady stuff. Um And, you know, unfortunately, we also had a lot of experiences of um, being sexually harassed, of not being taken seriously, of just, you know, being one of so few women in those rooms. And we really started B-School being like, okay, let's just have a place where we can teach people about online marketing where they don't have to steal themselves before walking in the room. You know, it's like we're learning along with all the shady stuff we're re- we're learning some some just really great principles of, right. of marketing and sales and online business like let's share this in a way where people don't have to put their their shield on before they go through the learning or of course a lot of women just weren't walking in those rooms at all because they felt so unwelcome there uh and and that's really why we started b school together and actually when we started it we taught it together so i was also like in the videos and stuff Um, and the kind of short version is it just, it just took off instantly. I think our second launch was over a million and you have to remember this was like quite a long, this is nuts. I mean, it's still very impressive to have a million dollar launch today, but back then it was, it was like really not happening. Um, so yeah, you know, within less than a year after we launched our second launch was a million dollar launch and it, it became such a bigger thing because we had both been running our own businesses already. And basically it was like, okay, this isn't some sort of side project. This mm. is bigger than both of our, both of our existing businesses. And basically I saw that it, it wasn't where I wanted to focus my attention long-term. So the reason that people haven't seen me in it is because I did leave it after only, I think two years. And then you know, we did create all the materials together, but basically she bought me out of my share and then continued doing it uh, on her own. But I mean, I'm incredibly proud of it. I've met so many people that are like, I took B-School back in the day and that's what got me started. Um, And so many people still have really good friends that they met in B-School. You know, there were local meetups all around the world. It's just like, it was such a phenomenon. That's amazing. I mean, I I love hearing the story because sometimes success finds you and you, you Mm. have to kind of let go of everything and be like, I got to pursue this. There's there's something Mm. here. Um, and that's what happened with us with this podcast. You know, we had a podcast before this that totally tanked and not that great, (laughs) but when we pulled this off and it really resonated with the audiences and we started to get traction and, you know, iTunes was recognizing us and we're just like, Oh my God, I know I got this other stuff I'm working on, but like I'd really yeah. be missing out on an opportunity if I don't jump on this. You mentioned something that is really important. Um, being a woman, being uh, in entrepreneurship, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that people don't talk about. There's a lot of challenges mm-hmm. that you go through just by, because you're not a man, you know, it's just a, mm-hmm. it's just a interesting kind of uh, a challenge that you're going through, but you also have the challenge of, being a, a female entrepreneur that's an, that is a leader in, in to women, you know, like a lot of women look mm-hmm. up to you because you've done things, uh, that are, are 
successful, but also just recognized by both men and women, not just for being a woman, but just for being a a very good entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel any pressure or do you feel a sense of responsibility being, um, you know, a female entrepreneur? Uh, And and I'm saying this because I feel this way too, as a minority, I feel like Mm -hmm. as an Egyptian American, as an immigrant, uh, a son of an immigrant parents and things like that, I feel like I have a sense of responsibility to, to kind of represent my people, you know, and show them that, you know, this is possible and yeah, there's challenges, but you know, this is how to deal with them. Do you feel that way as a, as a female entrepreneur? I think I feel it in a positive way. I I don't feel a negative pressure of like, Oh, I can't mess up because people are watching, but I do feel, uh, like it's, I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but I feel like it's an honor to be able to publicly show people a different way to do things. You know, there was something that I retweeted the other day where someone had said, if you're not working on the weekend, like you don't want it, you know, you just, if you're not working on the weekend, you you just don't care. And, you know, I retweeted it and I'm like, I'd, I'd rather have a great relationship with my husband and my kids than, uh, whatever X percent faster growing business, you know? And I think, obviously that's true, not just for women, for a lot of people. And a lot of people feel like that's bad. There's something wrong with them. I mean, which is so crazy to even say out loud, right? Like, of course, I think, of course, at the end of your life, you're going to be a much happier person with a great relationship with your friends and family than however, you know, much you impressed everyone with how many employees you had or whatever. But a lot of people feel like they're, they're not allowed to go down that route or there's people blatantly saying, Oh, you don't want it bad enough. You're not serious. I'm not going to take you seriously. You're not a real business owner. You're not a real entrepreneur. So I think sometimes the good part of being underestimated is you can just be like, yeah, like I know that you underestimate me. I know that you don't take me seriously. So whatever Uh, that just, you took all the, (laughs) there's nothing I can do to change that. So uh, all the things that you think are, are dumb, like me working part-time. I'm just gonna be like, yep, I work part-time. Like, don't care if it bothers you. I know there's a lot of other people out there that are looking for permission to say, yeah, you can be successful and work part-time. You can be successful and not have your business as the only thing you care about in life. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to believe that on your deathbed, you're going to say, I wish to spend more time in the office. You know, like it's usually exactly what you say. Like, I want to spend more time with family and friends. And, and, and I always kind of echo what you say, uh, you know, why are you working hard in the first place? Like what's, what's the ends, you know, like, aren't you trying to build a better life for your family and be able to afford the things and enjoy the experiences with them? Um, if you're just working for work's sake, uh, that's a problem. That's a neurosis, you know? Um, but, um, yeah, I'm glad that you, you, you retweet and you comment on these things because uh, <laughs> we, we need champions of that idea. Um, I want to get into the internet marketing stuff because, you know, when yeah. you started mentioning some of this stuff, you brought me back. Um, for those who are <laughs> listening and they're maybe interested in learning more about marketing, getting better at marketing, and they're entering this world, there's a lot of there's a lot out there. There's YouTube, there's videos, yeah. there's courses, there's books, there's old school books. There's stuff like and even the old school stuff. There's a lot of good gold in there, but then you have to sift through some of the stuff that mm, 
it kind of is shady, you know, and marketing is mm -hmm. very gray in, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. what, what is your advice or what do you do to kind of sift through and see what's best for you? Because I love your branding. I love what you do with your website and your work and things like that. And it's very straightforward and matter of fact and um, very mm -hmm. transparent. Um, but that obviously comes uh, along with uh, marketing principles. So what, yeah. what are your techniques? Okay, so the easiest way to sort of make a rule for yourself is just to have the rule, don't lie. <laughs> this sounds funny, but I swear this just makes it so easy. So I've, I've had this rule for a long time, which is just don't lie. Anything that you're putting out needs to be true. So having that filter just <laughs> allows you to, sometimes you look at these marketing principles like um, scarcity, right? So scarcity just means if there's less of something, people have a more urgent desire for it. And, and that is absolutely true. And it's very effective in marketing. Yep. So if you look at whatever you're doing for scarcity, if you, you know, if you have an ebook and you say that there's only seven minutes left to buy this ebook, but actually of course the counter just restarts as soon as it hits seven minutes, Seen it. that's a lie. Yeah. They, they don't have only seven minutes left. Right. Um, whereas in Paperbell, something that we do is we have a special offer that goes for the first seven days of when you sign up for a free account, right? That is true. That offer is only, we personalize it. Um, you know, we use a tool so that their coupon code, like it only works for them for the first seven days. Right. So it's, it's true that for the first seven days, that's their window whenever yep. they are for seven days to get the special offer. So it's like, it's taking the same concept and just taking away the stuff that's not true. And there's yeah. still plenty of ways to do it. Yeah. And I, I love this simple rule that you can follow. And also the idea that like, don't throw the baby out of the bathwater, like, okay, have right. scarcity, but just be, be honest about it. Like if you're closing yeah. your doors, close your doors. If you have only a hundred spots available, really only have a hundred spots available. And right. at some point you, you can't, you can't just have it open forever. You have to have a closed uh, period, or that means you just never sold a hundred spots. But the yeah. point here is, is that like, yeah, I, I love that because um, this, uh, this frees you then to use uh, what's out there. And, Cause mm -hmm. then you're being honest. I love it. So something that you and I have in common is that we both, uh, uh, work with our better halves. Uh, you're you're okay. co-founder, Chris, uh, of mm. me, Edgar. Uh, and I get to ask this question all the time. Like, how is it working with your spouse? You know, is it impossible? I could never do that. What are some techniques yeah. you use? Um, I can't speak for you, but like, wh what is the answer that you give to this? Like, cause for me, I feel like, I don't know how you can't have your better half, you're involved in some way in your life and your uh, work, uh, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I love working with my husband and it's interesting because I do, it, obviously it's not for everyone. And if you're like, that sounds like a nightmare, then don't do it, <laughs> you know? Um, but just little, so I have had a business partner before, right? We talked about Marie Forleo. She was mm -hmm. my business partner and there were so many little things that we didn't align on. Like one was that like anyone who's followed Marie or like read Marie's book, like Marie is so ambitious, like such a hustler. She loves to like stay up all night getting it done. 
like I'm lazy. <laughs> I just not, that's just like not how I work. So like she would always want to be, you know, working more, let's stay up, let's finish it. Let's, you know, film it all in these two days. Like, let's get it all done. And I like, just don't have the same energy levels mm. that she does. We also had different kind of life, you know, at the time I didn't have kids yet, but I, um, knew I wanted to have kids. You know, she had like an older stepson and knew that that was, that was good for her. So the great thing about working with your spouse is that, you know, we're so aligned on all of our bigger life goals. Like my husband and I, it's important to us that we're not working too much. And so it just, there's never any pressure for, you know, one of us to say, why haven't you got this done? Why haven't you finished it? Cause we know at the end of the day that we don't want to have really busy work days. He's like on a huge fitness kick right now. He's spending a lot of his time exercising. And I'm like, yeah, that's like, yeah, oh, I want, I want you to be, yeah, as, as you know, hot and healthy as possible. I want you to live a long, healthy life. So yeah, I would much rather you exercise than like ship that feature today. So I just found for us, it gets us really, really aligned on kind of those bigger, deeper, more important goals for the business. Um, and I think our kind of secret to success for working together is that we do have totally different skill sets. So he's a developer. That's what he loves to do. I don't know how to do that. You know, I'm the marketer. He doesn't know how to do that. And also the way that we do it is the reason that people don't see him like credited anywhere. Well, one reason is that he does not want to be publicly online in any kind of way, or even privately online in, in any kind of way. Um, once someone asks us to do a podcast together, you know, just audio. And he's like, absolutely not. That's just like any, any sort of public visibility is not interested in. And also the way that we do it is like, he makes the product and I run the business. So we talk about business stuff, but it's not like we need to talk about and agree on like every business. Like we don't, he doesn't, he's not involved with any kind of like budgeting or anything like that mm. for the business. Like he, we talk together about what the product's going to do and feature stuff. But I think having those separate domains works really well for us because then we're not having to discuss like every little decision in the business. That's very healthy. Knowing your roles. Um, Nicole and I were fortunate enough to be colleagues before we were, you know, mm. um, you know, intimate partners. Um, I, I was, uh, working at the same university as she did. We were both former teachers. Uh, she was actually in my department. I was her supervisor and she still actually has her classroom observation that I gave her a good thing. It was a good one. Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, I knew her as a professional. I knew her as, mm. uh, and I, I respected her before I loved her, which was, uh, mm. really, I think that's something that I'm, I feel lucky about because it's so much easier for me to see her as a professional and have that conversation with her in, in a business setting um, than, you know, feeling like, oh, I work with my wife, you know? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that that definitely is uh, something I, I'm grateful for. So you started Meet Edgar. You started Meet Edgar at some point in, in your life. And, uh, you know, social media was hot. Yeah, 2014, social media was hot. Uh, and you know, it's still very hot. Um, and, uh, I, I, from afar, I saw you kind of grow me Edgar and, and, mm -hmm. and, and make it your own, uh, and, and it's a self-funded company, correct? Mm -hmm. So, um, my question to you is, um, 
what were some of the growing pains you had over the course, let's say from, from, from launch until sale, what were some of the things that, that stick out those moments, those memories are like, mm-hmm. I do not want to relive that. That was tough. <laughs> I mean, the hardest stuff over the years was always the team stuff. And that's also what I'm kind of reexamining now with, with my new business. Uh, because one, when I started meet Edgar, you know, I looked around at my friends who had, you know, online course businesses is what a lot of my friends were doing or coaching businesses or things they like call that. Them creators and now. They call them creators, creator, the creator economy, <laughs> we called it info products then, you know, um, but no one had like full-time employees. Everyone just had kind of like VAs and freelancers that they worked with. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have a quote unquote real business. And I was Sass, looking yeah. around. Yeah. And I was, um, I had a lot of friends in Silicon Valley, you know, running funded companies and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do things like they do. So not just the business model of SaaS, but also having W2 employees on the team. I'm like, I'm not just going to have a bunch of VAs. I'm going to have everyone on my team be W2 employees. And there were a lot of things that were great about that. And we had a lot of success very early on. And we grew our team too large because I was kind of, following the formula of the bigger the team you have, the more successful you are. It's, it's one of the easiest ways to kind of look successful to other people is to say like, Oh, how, how big is your team? And if someone says a number that feels like a higher number, like, wow, you guys, you guys must be, must be doing really well. Um, and in retrospect, you know, we had people in full-time roles that were like one-off projects. You know, we had a, a full-time marketing data analyst, when we just absolutely did not need that to be a full-time role. You know, we Mm. thought we did at the time or an in-house like ad buyer when we could have easily used any kind of freelancer or agency. Um, And over the years, like finding that balance of how best to work with people, like who needed to be in-house, who needed to be full-time. I found that very challenging because I think, my skill set is definitely not I like I'm not a big like a nurturer, you know, mm-hmm. like I just want to kind of like set the goals, get the work done. I'm I'm not I'm like so that. great at na- navigating the people side. Yeah. And I did have an amazing person that I worked with who was great at the people side. Um, but honestly, like a problem that we always had over the years was the team absolutely loved working there. Like we created a really great environment for the team. People never left, but sometimes that's not so good if no one ever leaves, (laughs) you know what I mean? Because then it's just like, everyone wants to stay because the environment's so great. But what we did not master at that company, looking back was like having the great environment and like always hitting our targets every time, always staying focused on what we wanted to do. And I like, I wish I had a lesson of like, here's how you do it. But that's just something that I'm trying to do better at my new company. Yeah. Holding your team members accountable is tough, especially when they feel like family, you know, like when they feel Mm. like they're so close to you, you work with them, they're great people and they're, they're, they're doing their job really, but you know, they're not really pushing the envelope that is, that is required with a lot of businesses and a competitive space, uh, like the marketing space, you know, uh, I love that learning. And one of the things I want to kind of just, uh, follow up on is 
you know, sometimes we make decisions in our business and we're not really sh- sure why, like, why did you decide to go with the W2s and, and hire these positions and things like that? Do you ever analyze, like, is that a decision that came from, from, from just past experiences or just something you want to do something different or like, did you ever analyze why? Well, yeah, it was, it was because of what I saw, what I thought were real companies doing. Okay. All right. Yeah. And now that I've gotten further along, I actually, I mean, it's something that I want to write and share more about. I think there are so many things that need to be done really, really differently in a small company. And let's say Mm. small is like under 10 people, under 20 people. I think a lot of things need to be done inherently differently than so much of the business content that you read is about big companies, because obviously those are kind of the impressive big name companies. And I mean, like one example is at the time we had, uh, you know, leaders for our departments. And at the time I thought, okay, those leaders really shouldn't be doing very much execution work because they should be like, on strategic work for their department, you know, they should be mentoring their teams, but no, we needed them to do execution work because we only had, you know, 18 people dollars, total or yeah. whatever. Like, yeah, we, we didn't have room for people to just sort of be like thinking all, like it didn't really make any sense, but I hardly I have would, time to think, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, I would read these things about like, Oh, you don't, you know, you don't want your leaders like so down in the weeds so that they never have they never have the capacity to work on a bigger strategy. That's really going to move your company forward. And I think like there, there needs to be more education for that middle ground. It's like, I, I feel I like totally there's stuff you're like a solo freelancer. And then, oh I mean, people love stuff like, you know, traction. EA. It's oh like my God. I was about to say about that. Organize a larger team. <laughs> so Nicole's reading this book right now. And I read it like a okay. few years ago and you, the, my takeaway when I read EOS and it's a good book and I mean, Gina Wickman did a great job with it, but it's, this is not, in my opinion, if you have a team that is, I would say less than 50 people, which is most small businesses, right? Right. Just most small businesses. This is way, way like not applicable. Like you just can't pull off what he's trying to do. And you just feel deficient. You feel like I'm doing something wrong. Am mm-hmm. I'm not successful enough mm-hmm. to to implement this system? Do I even have a business? Yes, you do. You know, mm-hmm. like, so mm-hmm. I, I think what you're saying is so true. And I will champion anything that you produce. Tell me, I'll retweet it because that is so <laughs> so important. Uh, because there's so many people I know personally, uh, my own businesses, where. There's not enough examples. There's not enough. Um, there's not enough uh, information or content about how to navigate that. I would say uh, before ten million in revenue, like even just mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. that, and and all we see is like the fast growing companies, even the self funded ones. You know, like the base camps of the world, and you know, ConvertKit. You know, um, they're, they're they're amazing companies, and and I'm super proud of those people. But that's the anomaly. That's not the normal Mm -hmm. journey. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can think of an example. So we would always try to follow. um, There's a book called Scaling Up. used to be called The Rockefeller Habits. It's like the same as EOS. I actually don't know who copied who or if they came with the exact same idea, but it's kind of funny how they're exactly the same. Um, So we would follow Scaling Up. And it's like, like you're saying, you're like trying to do, you're like, okay, they said I have to have this meeting rhythm, right? So you're having all these meetings and you're like, Jesus, we only like, we don't have that many people. And they're just in all these meetings all the time or something that's big and scaling up. is like, 
You have to have, you know, your one big goal per quarter and everyone at the company, like every week has to show their progress towards that one. Everyone has to be marching in the same direction. And we would always be like, yeah, but like our customer service team, I mean, they don't really work on that goal. Like they just answer all the queries really well. But instead of just seeing that, we would like try to, and you know, create yeah. some other task for them to do so they could be involved in the big goal. And the whole thing like didn't make sense and was just a waste of time. Or we would have a developer that would need to be working on this one feature, but it's like, oh, but that feature is not our goal. So they have to do some other random work so that we can somehow shoehorn them in to be related to the goal. And it, it, it was just a waste of time, but you read these books and the books are like, if you, if you do everything we say in this book, you know, you yeah. will 10 X your business. So it's like, I'm trying. <laughs> I know. I mean, uh, I was at a, at a, a founders meetup the other day. And one of the things that we had to share, uh, you know, what are the, some takeaways you've learned over the years and like over the last eight years of building webinar ninja, uh, my number one takeaway is no one knows your business better than you do. Like, mm. uh, along the way, sometimes you forget, sometimes you think mm -hmm. this coach is going to unlock it for me. Mm -hmm. This system's mm -hmm. going to make it happen. This next yeah. product, this next idea. Oh no, this mm -hmm. marketing strategy. No, I'm going to hire this firm and they're going to kill it with the marketing. Like, no, they don't know anything compared to what you know. Mm -hmm. Right. Like yeah. the, the answers yeah. are within you. And I know that's frustrating to hear, but, mm -hmm. um, that's what I've learned really. It's just like, unfortunately, um, it, you, you got to figure it out and, and, and there's no way around that. So you sold me Edgar and I want, I want to mm -hmm. hear a little bit about what made that decision for you. Or just like, you know what, it's time to say goodbye. Well, I mean, it was a lot of things. So I actually did take myself out of the day-to-day -day of the business a while before I sold, you know, I mentioned someone who was really good with the people. So I put her in the president role and she was running the business and I would usually talk to her once a week. And that was my only involvement of the business. So it was much easier for me to sell than a lot of people because I had, I had already been kind of out of it. And then another huge factor was that I did reach some early traction with my next business. So mm -hmm. in that process of taking myself out of Meet Edgar, I was pursuing other businesses. And this one that I'm doing now, Paperbell, you know, I launched Paperbell while Meet Edgar was still running. And basically we had success with Paperbell right from the launch, not big numbers or anything, but you know, Validation. a few, yeah. I, I don't know, 200 people bought it or something at the that's launch. It's like, okay, that's yeah. That's like enough to know that people, that people want this thing and, yeah. and more people will buy it. So after that happened, then I knew that I was kind of ready to go to the next stage with Edgar. And that did end up being selling the business. So did you get tired of me, Edgar? Did you feel yeah. like, yeah. I mean, I got tired of, I definitely got tired of the social media world. I mean, actually in the past, in the last few years of me, Dad Gurk, cause I've always done a lot of podcasts. I was like, I'll do podcasts, but I won't talk about social media. I'm like, I love talking about business and entrepreneurship. Like do not ask me about social media marketing. I was just so sick of talking about social media marketing strategies. It, you know, it wasn't a passion of mine. Um, I think something that a lot of the social media tools have struggled with is you are extremely limited 
um, by the platforms and the platforms have given the third party tools less and less access and permission mm-hmm. over the years. Um, because, you know, it's interesting watching buffer from the outside. I don't have any insider information, but they, they have shared some that they're having like similar problems that we had at Edgar and yeah. from the outside, I think their tool has, has kind of stagnated in a similar way that ours did at Edgar, but at the same time, it's not like I see some other tool that's doing way better. I think from the outside, maybe you wouldn't understand why is there not more innovation at Buffer or Edgar, but a big reason why not is because like, we just, there's only so much we can do, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, like they let us do what they let us do and they don't let us do other things. So I'm sure, you know, both Buffer and Edgar could have been more innovative. It's not like we'd reach, you know, the absolute cap, but I think that's a big reason why that happened at both companies and, and why, I don't know how they feel for me. It was a little less fun because it's like, okay, you might have ideas of ways you can make things better and then you can't execute those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And uh, I mean, I love the fact that you were self-aware and, and your ego is not totally out of control to the point where you didn't recognize that, Hey, the writing's on the wall. Like I I need to, Mm -hmm. you know, make a decision about this and also be aware of the fact that like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Like, and, and that's Mm -hmm. important to me. Um, and I I often wondered about this, like how, how can a product like me, Edgar or, or buffer or whatever, really thrive if it's not in the interest of Facebook or Twitter, if people are not in the platform. Like they're going right. to, they're going to, I don't, they don't publicly say this, but they probably don't want people tweeting outside of Twitter because they want them to be on the platform. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. the automation tools, I don't know if they, they, they don't, um, give it as much juice in the algorithm, but, um, I can imagine so. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and we also, we also saw that the company is just small businesses. They, do not care about at all. Like some, there are enterprise social media mm. tools, um, like sprinklers one. I mean, you would never know them unless you work yeah, at a huge Paul's, company. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those, those do have much better relationships with the tools because Facebook does care about, you know, enterprise advertising dollars, yeah, dollars. which is, which is all part of the ecosystem. Facebook does not care about small business advertising dollars and Facebook doesn't care about small businesses because a lot of them aren't giving any advertising dollars. So we never had a contact at Facebook. Every time we needed to talk to someone at Facebook, I would email all my friends, like, who do you know at Facebook? Who can you get me in touch with? Over the years of the business, we never got a steady contact there. Um, they were constantly like changing their partner programs and which one you needed access to. And it was just always this desperate struggle Mm -hmm. to get into them, you know, and we were, we were, and are definitely one of the, you know, top five social media marketing tools. And, and they had no, they had no interest. So it was, it was just kind of a hard space to be in. Yeah. So you learned a ton through me, Edgar, about like, what makes a, a product sticky? What makes it uh, fun to use? Um, you know, what kind of business you want to build around that product? What were some of the things that you learned and uh, adapted in your new business, Paperbell, uh, which, mm-hmm. by the way, is a fantastic product? I was checking it out. It was like amazing, like what it does, it does so much for coaches. Um, so, yeah, uh, congrats, yeah, yeah. congrats for that. So, what were some of the things that you kind of said, ah, note to self, do this in Paperbell? 
Yeah. So, so Paperball is a tool for life coaches to run their business. So that means managing payments, uh, contract signing, scheduling, you know, client management stuff. So one thing that I did the same was stay in the, you know, small business freelancer creator kind of space, which, which is a hard space to be in because, you know, we only get 50 bucks at a time, every, every customer. If you look at SaaS that does larger deals, um, it, it can be a grind growing a business in the small business space, but it's also the space that I just have genuine passion for. Like I, I love entrepreneurship. I love encouraging people to become entrepreneurs and have that freedom in their lives. So even though there were downsides of that, I did want to stay in that space. Um, you know, with Paperbell, we have like more or less no platform risk. Uh, you know, we integrate with Stripe and PayPal for payments, but there's a lot of other choices there. If something went wrong, we integrate with Google calendar, but we only benefit them. It's kind of the opposite. Like you were saying, it's like Facebook. Do they really want other tools to post on Facebook? No. Does Google calendar want other tools using Google calendar? Yes. That's just more using Google calendar, you know? Um, and again, it's, we just, if in some weird world, we couldn't use it, we could, you know, build our own calendaring, switch to another calendar, whatever. We can't just say, oh, just use this new Facebook. Like, that's, not, yeah. that's not how it works, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So we, I did want to build something that didn't have um, those platform dependencies. And also, you know, coaching is such a growing industry. We're still in the very, very early days of coaching. You know, it, it's starting to explode. I think we're going to see it explode even more. And social media, it's not like social media was in any way a dying industry. Social media is still growing, um, but it, it's growing in very different ways. And yeah, it continues to grow in ways that are unfriendly to third-party tools. I mean, TikTok is obviously kind of the next big social media platform, I've never, no one uses TikTok tools as far as like, you know, posting to TikTok, managing TikTok. Like, I don't even know, some of them have very basic posting functionality, but if, if you're creating a TikTok, like you're in TikTok. Um, so the, the kind of like, I don't know, old style of tool is still useful. Like, I mean, we still use and love Edgar at Paperbell because it just, it keeps our, all of our social channels full every day. Um, I mean, we have a lot of followers on Instagram just from like posting about our blog posts on Instagram for Paperball. So it's still useful, but the industry is definitely not growing in a way that's friendly to tools, whereas the coaching industry is. The coaching is absolutely huge. And there's a couple of reasons why I love the coaching industry. And it's why Nicole and I pivoted and niche down to coaching and build webinar ninja for for coaches and creators um and and now we're even moving into live courses and things like that mm-hmm. um and the reason why we're so bullish on it is one both Nicole and I are former educators this is like our world mm-hmm. we grew up in 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 our professional worlds as teachers and you know education is kind of our jam and and we know this stuff and we would love it but the but more importantly um the barrier of entry to be a coach as a business is so low, right? In yeah. terms of costs, in terms of infrastructure, mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. the ability to just get started and share what you know and share your expertise. The margins are much higher than having a, right. if, you're, if your ideal client is a, you know, let's say a, a mom and pop, a bakery, or even like a tech startup, you know? So their margins are quite high. So therefore they can afford tools that will make them money. 
you know? Mm. So this mm. is why, like, when I saw your, your product paper bells is like, this is perfect because, um, it's, it's, it's a great price point. It's also just a good tool. That's not, um, overcomplicated and a million yeah. things. It's not like the, you know, infusion soft or the uh, HubSpot right. of, of coaching. Um, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is that, um, this is just the beginning and there's going to be so many services and tools and businesses that are going to be serving mm -hmm. this market. And mm -hmm. if you can build a brand around coaching or even be a coach yourself, uh, it's going to be, it's just going to get easier for you. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a big motivation for me is to be uh, kind of seen as, as the category creator and, and the primary one in the category, because there's going to be a lot more paper bells, you know, there's going to be, I can promise you there will be some exact copies, which we had at meet Edgar. We were like, wow, they just took our exact yeah. interface and copy and pasted it into theirs. Who's you know, me, Edward? Who's this Edward guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you know, being in a space early, I think it is really important to get that brand awareness, right? So that people are saying like, even if they don't choose paperbell, like telling people like, you need a tool like paperbell, you need yes. paperbell or something like paperbell. And that's kind of how you define the space. So, you know, we're, we're not there yet. A lot of coaches still haven't heard of us. Um, but I think we are gaining that, that market share very quickly. And, and I think it is a bit, a bit of a race because I see new tools popping up all the time. And, and I think there will be a lot more. Totally. There's so much more I want to talk about, Laura, but I know that we're kind of running out of time. Um, but I do want to mention a few things for people to check out. We're going to put in the show notes. There's a couple articles that I think that you really, um, just nailed. Um, one of them was about, um, not doing your own customer support, um, mm -hmm. which I'm a big believer of as well, because, um, for actually different reasons than that you mentioned in the article, mm. but I let people read it. But my reasons are, are really, it's hard for you to be the big thinker and to come up with new ideas and solutions when you're in the weeds so much. And, yeah, and sometimes yeah. support is a muddy place, you know, like you're just, yeah. people don't know what they want. They're being rude. They're being short, they, you know, like whatever. And I'm not saying that that's all customers this is a very fraction, but yeah. just yeah. one customer can really, you know, ruin your day. <laughs> exactly. And you need trained yeah. professionals for that. Uh, and, yeah. the other, and the other article is one about public speaking. And I want to talk a little bit about that because you do a bit of public speaking. One of my favorite um, speeches uh, that I heard from Craft and Commerce is yours. I really, I, you know, I think I tweeted Wait, it. I haven't clue. spoken at Craft and Commerce. Which one was it? Was it the lead pages one? Yes. The lead pages one. Yeah. Sorry. Was it drip Con one or lead pages one? That was called something that's why there's a c's the c's yeah. got me converted got me yeah, yeah. confused <laughs> sorry that's my bad um so yeah there's one of my favorite ones i really I, I remember when i watched it i was like i gotta reach out to her until it was really really helpful um have you always loved public speaking is it something you worked on is it something that you still get nervous about is it something you seek out or you just say hey if somebody asks me i'll say yes yeah, I, I do love to speak. It was pretty natural for me. I remember back when I lived in Chicago in my early twenties, I was like, Oh, I like speaking. I should go, I should go to Toastmasters. Um, and I don't know if they've improved, but at the time, like I showed up to my first meeting and it was like, so formal. It was like, you memorize and you, you know, memorize word for word and you present in exactly this way. And I was like, Ooh, this is, this is not what I meant. This is not the kind of speaking that resonates with me. 
I will not be returning to this organization. Um, but I do have something to recommend for anyone who wants to be a better speaker. There's a woman named Gail Larson. I think her book is called Transformational Speaking. Um, look up Gail Larson. She has an amazing book. Uh, I went to a live workshop that she did in Santa Fe years ago. And uh, she teaches you just kind of how to like convey information and tell a story authentically. Um, I need to revisit her book because I'm, I'm sure I've forgotten it and, and could make my talks way better. Um, but yeah, it is something that I've, I, I love to do. I actually have a rule now that I live in the UK that I can't go to any conferences in North America. Um, you can probably identify with us living in Australia. So much business stuff is in America. It's just, it's just way, way more than anywhere else. And, and for me, I have little kids like the time and the jet lag and the whole thing. I just, for me, I make a black and white rule so that I can't even be tempted to go <laughs> to anything in America. Um, so I'll go to stuff in the UK. I'll go to stuff in Europe, but there, there is just a much lower volume yeah. here. So I do really enjoy speaking, but it's not something that I'm, I'm pursuing right now. I totally resonate with what you're saying. Um, one of the things that Nicole and I uh, really have a pain point with is, is like going flying 14 hours to go to a conference and then you need like a week off to recover. It's mm. really tiring. Mm. It's really yeah. draining and you don't really come back refreshed or feel like, yeah. you're, you know, that you're ready to take on new things in your business. Um, one of the big reasons why we started our own like small business retreat for founders here in Australia, because it's like, why are we flying so far mm. anywhere mm. uh when there's some amazing people that these are people that yeah. i never got a chance to get to know but also people that i would only see at conferences in the states like what this is super, yeah. what are we doing here right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. so yeah and it was a big reason why we started oscon I, I definitely resonate with the fact that you know I, I love the fact that you're balanced that you you prioritize mm. your mental health your physical health your family like hey mm. the idea of this sounds good but in reality, is this really good for me? You know, like the fact that you have that awareness is huge and I'm super proud to like, to know you and to learn from you and to, and to just to know that um, there's other people that are considering this. Cause I just feel like um, there's the other narrative that we talked about where people are just like never say no to a opportunity and right. go after everything. Right. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can work on a plane for 14 hours on the way there, and then you can work on the plane on the way back. It's, no. I could, I could barely read on a plane. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Laura, it was awesome, awesome, awesome chatting with you. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Uh, we're going to pop all the notes and the links that you mentioned and, and that we mentioned in our conversation in the show notes. But thank you so much, Laura, for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Omar. We all know the power of an email list and growing our email list, but managing it, automating our emails, making sure they actually get into the inbox, that's where ConvertKit comes in. ConvertKit is an all-in-one email marketing platform. I've used a lot of different email marketing platforms and we use ConvertKit for a reason. It just works. It does what you need it to do. It's simple, it's easy, and it keeps improving every single day. Plus, you can start for free. Go ahead to 100mba.net slash convertkit to get started. We also love WP Engine. We host all our websites on WP Engine and it's for good reason. It's the best. It's super fast, it's secure, and their support team is out of this world. It's like having your own technicians on call 24 seven. Most of the time when I need something done and I get on chat, they don't tell me what to do. They just do it for me. 
exactly what I want. If you're hosting a website, especially a WordPress website, check out WP Engine. And as a listener of the show, you can get 20% off. Just go to WPENG.IN slash MBA and use code WPE20OFF. WP Engine, the best way to host your website. Such a good conversation with Laura Roeder. If you want to learn more about what she's doing over at Paperbell, go to paperbell.io. They're working on some interesting solutions for coaches. It's simple, it's easy, and in fact, we're collaborating with them because their tool is great for one-on-one coaching. Our up-and-coming tool, CoreSinja, is great for group coaching, and I'm proud to support her work because she's done a great job serving customers throughout her whole career as an entrepreneur, giving them what they need, over-delivering, as she did in today's conversation. I think it's important for us to reflect on some of the things that Laura said today. One of the things I think that really stood out was how she made decisions in the past that she regretted just because she thought she had to do this to be a professional entrepreneur, to build a real business. Sometimes we put our own barriers up. We put our own sort of obstacles and rules that don't really resonate with the truth of our life and business. We don't really need to do that. And we all go through this in some form. And it comes from a sense of maybe insecurity or a lack of confidence or a feeling like this is how I make it. The beauty of business is that you make the rules. You get to choose what your business is and how it runs. It's your own utopia, as Derek Sivers says in his book, Anything You Want. I also love the fact that she was really self-aware of the way me Edgar was transitioning as a product that was reliant on other technology, other social media platforms. So there are a few things out of her control, out of her ability to be as successful as she'd like. So when she started Paperbell, she made sure she didn't make the same mistake again, that she has total autonomy over how to serve her customers. And she's not relying on other software or other technologies or entities like other social media platforms to be successful or to serve their customers the way she feels is right and will uh, serve them best and allow her business to expand and grow. Those critical decisions will have an effect throughout the lifespan of your business. I want to thank Laura Roder for her time. That was a fantastic conversation. If you love these extended interviews, if you're getting something out of it, this is something that we've been experimenting with recently. Let me know in a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell me what you think of these extended interviews. If you enjoy them, if you get something out of them, what do you get out of it? So that we can know to keep on doing them. Thank you so much for listening to The $100 MBA Show. The best thing you can do to support the show is to hit subscribe or follow right now. And of course, to share the show with your friends and family over on social media, go ahead and let them know to go to subscribe over at 100mba.net. There's some handy buttons down there for them to click so they can be part of the community and be a daily listener. Before I go, I want to leave you with this. Hindsight's 2020. It's uh, very interesting to hear Laura talk about her journey and all the things she's learned along the way. But I say, yes, hindsight's 2020, but our vision should be getting better over time. Unlike our biological selves, as business owners, we need to learn from our experiences, our mistakes, and have them top of mind the next time we make a decision or a move in our business, just like what Laura's done with Paperbell. I always say it's okay to make mistakes, but it's not okay to make the same mistakes more than once. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll check you in tomorrow's episode where we discuss the topic, how long should you give your business idea before you quit? Listen in tomorrow to hear about that one. I'll see you then. Take care. 